Welcome to Bounce Back Stronger, the podcast that explores ways to find peace and purpose after difficulty. I'm your host, Donna Ferris. And today we have host of the Love Your Life podcast, life and wellness coach, Susie Petta. A little bit about Susie. Susie is a seasoned expert with over two decades of experience in guiding women toward lives they truly love. She wears many hats. She is the host of the Love Your Life show podcast, the facilitator of a transformative monthly membership for midlife warriors, and the founder of Strength, Mind and Body, LLC. As a certified parent, life and wellness coach, and a mother of five sons aged 18 to 26, which is amazing, Susie's passion is palpable. She's committed to supporting women in creating lives that not only look good on the outside, but more importantly, feel equally fulfilling on the inside. I'm so thankful to have you with me today, Susie. Thanks so much for being on the Bounce Back Stronger podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I love the whole idea of your show and yay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, you were one of the encouragers for me, for sure, when I was thinking about doing this. And I really appreciate that. Great. What we do. (laughs) Yeah, we help each other. And and we met when I was touring for my book, and I've been a, a loyal listener since. I, I can't mm-hmm. recommend your podcast enough to people. You have so much wisdom about the things that we face. But first, I, I really love the title of your podcast. And then I think the title of one of your programs is also about finding joy. So talk to me a little bit about that. I just love that approach to life in general. Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you very much for all your kind words. And I am I love hearing, as you know, now as a podcast host, I love hearing when people enjoy the podcast because we're just sitting, you know, and talking to our computer and it means a lot. And that leads right into the Love Your Life show. And I am the founder of the Love Your Life School, which is an online monthly membership for people to come and get the continuing education that we need to love our lives. And so the reason why I started the podcast five years ago, started the school September 2023, is because I lived a life I didn't love for many, many years. And so, you know, I really was raised as many of us were in sort of like thinking that we need to be the good girl and put our needs on the back shelf and be quiet, you know, turn your frown upside down. Don't rock the boat, you know, like sort of fall into line here and looking at living my life in a way that made other people happy. And that led me right into being a people pleaser and a first marriage and and just doing the things that I thought because, you know, other people were like, you know, modeling this for me that I thought would make me happy. So, you know, I, I worked really, really hard and got into my first choice college and worked really, really hard and, and married a man and got really, really, you know, and had three kids and got a job. And then in my marriage, which is sort of a whole different story, which is where I help people in emotionally abusive or narcissistic relationships. I had been raised by a narcissistic father. And when I got married, I went right into what was comfortable to me and got married (laughs) to another narcissist. So in that whole, you know, there was all that going on too. But what that led to me was even more doubting of myself and being more people pleaser and doing more. So I stopped my career because that's what he thought I should do. And I really lived a life that on the outside looked really good. It's like I had three kids. I had a the house, the husband, I even had a dog, you know, <laughs> it's like, come on. Like, and all the things should have been right, right? All the things should have been right. And I had a group of friends and we'd get together every week at our weekly play group for the kids. And we'd talk. And there was one woman who we 
seem to be living sort of parallel lives. And we get together and complain about husbands or our marriages or, and then go back out the next week and live the same life and come back and complain about basically the same things, just a different, you know, <laughs> color. Yeah. Um, and that woman was diagnosed with stage four cancer and passed within two or three wow. years. And I was one of her primary caretakers in her journey and, and the ending of her life. And one of the things we talked about quite openly and, and at the end was this like, what are you waiting for, Susie? Like, what wow. is just this idea of like, this is the one life we have and us living because other people, you know, us doing what other people think we should do and us living this life that isn't in alignment with our inner values and all of that. Like, what are we doing? So that that knocked me out of the paradigm, I'd say, of this life that I was living, thinking it was good enough and thinking that, you know, like maybe if I just got this new countertop, things would be better. Or maybe <laughs> if I just read this new parenting book, you know, it's that like, I'll be happy when journey. Yeah. And so I, I always had been, my initial education when I went to college was in education and I got a master's in education. I actually taught in high school. So I have been doing the self-help and teaching and all of that for my whole life, basically. Actually, I remember in middle school, I used to tell my friends, I said, if you have a problem, put it on a piece of paper and then shove it in my locker and I'll give you advice. Like <laughs> that's what I used to do when I was like in seventh grade. And so here I am now and leading you, a school where- That's right, so interesting. Where, it is. It's so funny. Well, well, it's so interesting. I think a lot of times we know what we should be doing so young yeah. and then we deny it. I, you know, right. I have a, a show a couple shows ago with Christina Leeson and she talked about that. There's actually a cycle that happens. And yes. anyway, it's just interesting that you knew even mm -hmm. back then that that was what you wanted to do. Yes. And that is that cycle. And I shove it down and then you sort of live a life that it, it, like we have the thing that's interesting. And I just want to touch on quickly is that we I'm 52 years old now and we pay a lot of attention to the different developmental stages of our kids. I know many of your listeners are parents. So we know that a two year old is going to be different than a 10 year old and they have different needs. And, and we, you know, ultimately there are different ways to parent a 10 year old than a two year old and an 18, you know, and yet then we get to this point as a society where we're like, okay, you know, where's the age? And then we're, then we're cooked. Like age 22, you're good. You know it. All. Like we're, we're fine. Like let's just no more education, no more learning for you. And that's really what I do on my podcast and what I do in my love your life school is that I, it's, it's this continuing education for us people who want to continually evolve because even though we're advancing in years, if we're not learning the tools, we're not advancing in our emotional intelligence. We're not advancing in our mental health support. We're not advancing in our emotional, you know, health, like, and so emotional intelligence, all of that, our system is set up where it's like, we're almost shamed, you know, if at like 30, we're like, oh, why are you, you shouldn't yell at your kids. Yet we don't have the freaking tools to not yell at our kids. So we're going, so no. it's this, and so that's- so there's no I, emotional that's, work that's done, right? And unless you take therapy. I mean, I think for me, you know, 30 years of therapy was like what you're doing, frankly, mm -hmm. I think, you know, working with somebody one-on-one -on -one and understanding- how to manage my emotions and how to, you know, navigate uh, interpersonal relationships. Because um, I wasn't taught that. Uh, I was taught right. the same as you. I absolutely think a good therapist would do that for sure. And mm -hmm. I just need to push back a little because I, like, I think therapy is wonderful to work through. I Like they often say, like, we spend the second half of our life repairing from what happened in the first life, the first half yeah. of our life. 
<laughs> and yeah. I feel that therapy is wonderful and sort of getting that out, having a safe place to talk to. And, and then a good therapist that the, that can be super helpful. And then I also like how it's sort of that next step because I spent many years in therapy and would do similar to what I did with my friend as I would go in every week and complain and have a place where I was heard and validated, but nothing in my life really changed until I started mm -hmm. working with the coach. And That's my fair. coach then sort of held my, you know, butt to the fire. And, and, and what we know is that like in order to see inside of our brain and to see what sort of thoughts we're thinking that are leading to the results we're getting, having someone else help us with that makes it go faster and easier. And so that coupled with just knowledge. Catalyst. Like what, yeah. Well, and you had a pretty big, you had a pretty real catalyst there, right? I, I think that's, really, yes. And I think for me, that was, and I, I take in what you say really well. I think you think you're right. And I think for me too, I had a catalyst to make big changes too, you know, and, and loss does that. I think that it really yes. gives you the chance to say, I don't have that much time left. I want it to be the best time I can have. And yeah. it sounds like that happened to you too. And so, and so you sought the, the help and you're sharing it. I think that's similar to, to right. what I'm trying to well, do. Well, most too. people like, so there is, sometimes we have this more catastrophic moment in our life that, that almost like you know, catapults us into this new way of looking at our life. And I also just want to speak to the listener out there because there there are two other sort of catalysts for change too, which are more gradual, which people might be having like an empty nest or something. So it's sometimes they're out of the blue, like our friend gets cancer or our dog dies or our spouse leaves us or, you know, all like it's this like- We're wow. all at once. Yeah, all exactly. All at once. So that can be, you know, sort of that like, wow, oh my gosh. But then we also have these things that we see coming, like raising children, and we know to raise a child effectively, they essentially will leave the house at some point. And even though we know that cognitively, feeling it, as you do with your work with, you know, yoga and somatics and all of that, like feeling it is very different. And that can send us into this, I like thinking of it as this like midlife awakening. And we get to this sort of change point in our life. And this is part of what I teach in the Love Your Life School about like we have these different stages of development, but we get to a stage where we feel that discomfort, whether it's something massive, like our friend passing or something more gradual, like our kid leaving, or we are retiring from a job or we are, you know, we're, we've just been in a job long enough and it just starts to build where we're like, you know, this little whisper in us that's like, is this all there is? And, and some of us so will slow down and listen to that voice. Some of us will buckle down free bit and do things that quiet that voice. Like, and I know we've both been there. We can over drink, we can over shop, we can overeat, we can over work, we can over focus mm -hmm. on our kids' lives. We, you know, someone else's lives instead of our own. And that's why it's it's helpful and part of what I teach in this like loving a life that you love is in returning back to us. That it it's it's actually not selfish. It is one of the most like selfless things we can do is to take care of ourselves, live more from the inside out instead of that outside in, caring so much what everyone else is thinking about our lives. And then becoming sort of this people pleaser, people deceiver, fake version of ourselves that's resentful and burnt out and pissed <laughs> to a more grounded calm. I think you bring up the parenting piece too, like when you have the kids leaving the nest, 
Mm. You know, all through this, you're modeling a certain behavior and then you change. But then what happens to your kids? Like, I think your kids saw it all one way. Do you see that you your kids are still modeling the old way that you were and they have to go through their own journey? I'm just curious how that works, because I think with kids, they they learn from us and sometimes they learn things that we don't want them to learn. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so one of the things I just like to say is that I'm like a shame-free, judgment-free coach because like until we sort of reach that part where we do sort of like, quote unquote, wake up, so I call it like the midlife awakening or I mean, it can happen at, at it could happen at age 80. It can happen at age yeah. 30. That's sort of like, oh, wow, look at this. Like I've been living in alignment with other people. We do operate in ways that maybe like it doesn't serve any of us to look back and be like, oh my God, I wish I didn't do that. It's just this, like, Mm. that's how it went. Let's have, you know, that's what we can work through with the therapist or coach and compassion for ourselves. The beauty with our kids is if they're under the age of 25, I might even say 30, their life and their development and their brain, it's all about them. So they are very malleable and very flexible with a parent who then suddenly is like, yeah, I'm going to start doing this. I mean, there is a little dance. They're used to your dance. So if they're used to you always, like say you have an adult daughter who's at college who whenever she gets stressed, she calls you, whether it's 2 a.m. after a fraternity party or it's 10 a.m. after a biology class, like you are her emotional regulator. When you start recognizing that that's not helpful for either of you and you start putting maybe a pause between answering her calls or there's going to be a pushback. Like she's going to be like, wait a minute. (laughs) It literally is like you're doing a dance and she's missing a dance step. The beauty is, is that with your strong, confident modeling that you're not doing anything wrong. You know, maybe you're getting support from me and the Love Your Life School to do that in a way that is helpful for everyone, that your daughter will adjust so quickly, more quickly than we think they will. There will be a little discomfort because that is a growth curve, but that people do generally adjust really well to changes. So that in itself, it's like, I like to keep parents' eye again back on them. Because even us thinking of what this will do to the kids is still living that outside in. And what I know is that when you are living more alignment with yourself, more taking care of yourself, or that, that, that shines out. And really, I am such a better mom for my kids in that way that I'm not putting things on them and my emotions that I'm not taking their feeling states and their life experiences so personally, like it, like I did something wrong as a mom. And that's why you have the school for parents with 10 and above. Is it, is it 10 or do you even have a school for adult, you know, parents with so adult I children? Run a monthly, I run a monthly membership that literally is like a college campus. So I like to think of it as like, it's that thing, like so often we think our, our, I just, our medical model is based on a model of illness that we go into the doctor when we're sick, but what do we do when we're well? And how do we support our wellness habits? So I like to think of, I like to think of myself as the personal trainer for their brain that you Mm, go to a personal trainer to just keep, you know, living your life and loving it. Like, let's learn how to like, I, I just recently heard somewhere, like every society has people who it is their job to help humans live a little easier. And that's what I like to think of myself doing. And so on the Love Your Life School campus, it, there are classes, there are opportunities for life coaching, there are you know a whole bunch of things in there. There's We have a book club if people want it. It is like a gym that you don't do it all. You don't go into the gym and you're like, I need to do all the machines, all the classes and get the personal trainer. It's like you do what works for you. So I designed that so I could be more accessible to more people. 
I also run a parenting teens class, which is a super easy all online place where there are three different video video modules where they set up their houses, whether their kids are 10 to 25, really, in a way that helps raise less anxious, more confident and resilient kids. The, you know, bringing the background that we know that stepping out of codependency, helping our kids through that discomfort of learning how to do it on their own and launching them. There's a very mm-hmm. big issue right now with lots of anxious kids, lots of kids not launching lots. Of, and a lot of that is addressed in my parenting class. Do you think it's worse now, the lack of launching because of, is it COVID? Is it something that society has done? I'm just curious what where it's coming from. So, I mean, studies show that anxiety is higher for kids. I think we're anxious about our anxious kids instead (laughs) of our parents. Like that generation was like, yeah, discomfort happens. You know, like my parents might've seen me nervous or anxious about doing a college application. And they're like, right. Yeah, totally. makes sense. Like she's putting herself out there. Whereas parents of this generation are like, oh my God, she's nervous. She's like crying. Let's get her into a therapist, which is all it's coming from love. But we just are in a different place where we are taking several things. We don't have time to get into it here, but we are taking things on as parents that are not ours to take on. And they sort of shifted in the 80s with when we moved out of like we moved into this era of like play dates, like suddenly our kids socialize and and instead of sort of kids are going to be kids, we moved into more of like, it's the parent's fault or responsibility to get the kid through, which then leads the kid. It's sort of this over-functioning, under-functioning role. And so then you get, if the parent is over-functioning, if the parent is making sure that their high school student is turning in all the homework and, you know, and they're making sure that their eighth grader has friends to sit with at lunch and is calling the parents or the, that's over-functioning. What we know, it leads to a feeling of insecurity in the kid, which if left you know, unmanaged can be more anxious, leads to a lack of confidence because they're seeing from their mom, they're getting this message. You can't do it. Let me do it for you like that, even though it's not being said in words. And so it leads to this state of sort of learned helplessness. We are having more kids with the sort of the term failure to launch where they're either going to school and they're like, oh my God, this is hard. Let me come home, not knowing what to do with hard or they're done and they get a couple job interviews. And, you know, this, I mean, I have five freaking sons, so I am not saying like there aren't bumps in the road. I love helping parents calm their nerves and to know, to sort of be a gauge for where extra help is definitely needed and where we need to back off a little because there is a gray area there. Like I I see a lot of parents over-parenting and then I see a lot of parents under-parenting, like just sort of this like, oh, screw it, they'll be fine, which also isn't helpful. And that middle gray area is where it's really helpful to have someone who's trained to help you out. If you had to pick one or two things that people, that parents should be doing, say that they're, if they've been an over-functioner for a long period of time, what are the two things that you would suggest they do? I guess I'll give you three things because I love, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, I love thinking, I love making things simple. And for parents, no matter their kid's age, when they're still living in your house, we have three jobs. So one is to keep our kids safe. Two is to set boundaries slash guidelines. And three is to let them feel their feelings and help them learn to regulate their feelings. When we sort of can can just distill it down to those three things, that our job is to keep our kids safe, have guidelines, 
and help them feel their feelings, that can really make a lot of things clear. So whether your kid is eight and you're like keeping them safe, it's like we need to hold hands when we cross the road. That's a boundary too. We need to hold hands when we cross the road and you let them feel their feelings. I don't want to hold your hand on it. And you're like, I get it. I totally get it. And we're going to hold hands. And you cross the road holding hands. Or it's a 17-year-old and you are trying to keep them safe. And you say, I do not I do not support going to parties where parents aren't present. And your boundary is, I, you know, if parents are not present, I'm not going to have you go to the party. And you let them feel their feelings. You're the worst mother ever. You're ruining my social life. This is awful. And you say something like, I totally get it. I would probably be angry with me too, sweetheart. And they're like, you suck. And I'd say, okay, our guideline is we don't call names in this house. So I understand you're upset. You can be angry. Feelings are all welcome here. But how you regulate, you know, how you process that anger, that's not okay. Like if we use that framework and go into parenting, it helps us stay in our lane of what's ours. And then it helps them stay in their lane too. So another, you know, the kid comes home and he's like, oh my gosh, my biology and my biology teacher stinks so bad. And this is so awful. And, you know, I turned in my homework, but they said it's late. So they're not going to take it. Okay. And our parent brain is like, oh my God, they're, you know, we go into the future. Like literally we go from like this one biology homework assignment, meaning like they're going to fail in life. But like, we're like, now they'll never get into the college and they won't have the job. And then it's like, so our job there is to regulate our own emotions. And to notice it's like, wow, it's hard for me when my kid is not performing at school or, okay, let me take a deep breath. Let me not get anxious about his anxiety or let me not, you know, sort of mirror like he's upset. Let me not get upset about his upset. And then what's the job that's like, I see. Yeah, I get how you're frustrated with the biology teacher. You know, I mean, he's like the teacher stinks. And you're like, I get how you think the teacher stinks. You don't try to talk him out of that. Well, I bet the biology teacher had his reasons because then the kid thinks, you're taking you don't decide. Yeah, it's like that's yeah. no fair. Right. But, but you also so, don't let them get away with thinking that you're going to solve it for them. Like how that would play in the moment we let them feel their feelings. And then maybe later it's like, hey, kiddo, like we have, you know, a guideline in this house that you hand in your assignments. So if you're having a hard time handing them in, let me know how I can support you. Not like I'm going to call the biology teacher and fix this or I'm going to sit you down and work through this scheduling and like be the biggest nag and like controller city. Parenting really is about like once they reach age 10, it really is about using the medical model as a guide where first we're doing it for them. Like when they're eight, we're like, okay, now we're going to sit down after school and we're going to get out of pencils and let's do our math homework. And we're sitting here and I know you want to get up and go play ball, but we're going to come back here and sit down and finish this up. Okay. When they're 28, we, so the medical model is you do it with them, you, you do it for them, you do it with them, and then they do it alone. When they're 28, we want them to hear from their boss, hey, we need this you know, proposal by Friday at eight, and we, need, we want them to be like, okay, I'm gonna sit down and do the proposal, even though my brain is telling me I wanna get on TikTok and I wanna go out with my friends, but I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna do the proposal and I'm gonna, in the middle period, that's where the gray area is, where we're doing it sort of with them. So we are like, okay, you know, one of our guidelines is in the house. You turn in all assignments. He comes back. He's like, I didn't turn in four of my assignments last semester. We're like, okay, let's, let's problem solve together. What do you think you need? What's going on here? You know, but you do not fix it because the consequences for when they're in the house from, you know, 10 on versus the consequences when they're 28 are much less at age 12 or 16. Like, him not turning in the biology experiment and turning in the biology paper feels really big to all of us in the house. Yet ultimately, 
it, it's, it's a, you know, we get to fix it. We get, like, it's like, okay, not we get, but together we get to sort of problem solve. And, and what we get to do is get our kid by us saying, how can I support you? We are not fixing it for them. We're no longer doing that for them. We're trying to get them into that upper level thinking, which is what resilient and effective people do. Like if I'm still calling my mom at 52 and I'm like, oh my God, the washing machine's jammed. What do I do? And she tells me I'm going to be a underfunctioner. That's you right. Know? If I call so, them, I'm like, I'm so frustrated. We just fixed the, lo- the washing machine and now it's broken again. She's like, oh my God, that stinks, Susie. What are you going to do? So you would typically have an overfunctioner and an underfunctioner, right? An overfunctioning parent, underfunctioning child. Yes. This and this for people who don't have kids, this, this can show up in all our relationships. We can have an overfunctioner spouse who's like, Did you remember your mom's birthday? Do you remember your dentist appointment? It is not helpful for our nervous system as women. It feels heavy. It is where resentment comes from because we get that feeling that we're doing it for everyone else. And doesn't anyone else understand everything we're doing? And I, it can also come. So maybe you don't have a spouse or a kid, but you have an older parent where they call you and they say they're lonely. And then you're like, okay, I'll stay on the phone while you complain for an hour, mom, or okay, I'll come over and play bridge. With you. So we're sort of, again, over-functioning instead of what we want to be doing is letting people have their emotions. We can say, oh my gosh, that stinks so bad. I get it how you're lonely. Totally hard. What are you going to do? You know, and we're on a podcast interview, so I'm speeding this up a little. But right. some, you know, you don't go right into what do you want to do when she's having the experience. But right. it's, it's, what we want to get to the difference is is in codependency, which is seeing other people's feeling states and thinking it's our job to fix it. We're sort of an overly invested in other people's feelings and experiences yep. versus empathy, which is caring about their experience feeling empathetic, sorry, that they're having this experience, but not taking it on as yours to solve. Many of us are over-functioning in feeling for other people in their lives. So that example of the mother might be, you know, might be this, like, or sometimes even our young children that they're like, maybe they're seniors in college and they're going to go get a job interview and we're all stressed for them. And we're like, well, you need to do this. And they're just like, I got it, mom. And because you're following up, you're nagging them, you're doing the thinking and the feeling for them. So if you have an over-functioning parent, what's the number one resolution they should make in the, the new year? If you had a, and again, I'm not a huge fan of resolutions, but I mean, yeah. what's the number one thing they can do to, and, and really not even just a parent, an over-functioning woman, what's the number one thing that they should try to do in the new year that's achievable? Yeah. You know what? I would love for them to take my how codependent are you quiz because that, oh, so it that's is, a good idea. It, yeah. It's at smbwell.com slash C-O-D-A for that's the abbreviation for codependent. Um, I, I actually can do a link just for your listeners. That's That'd be great. smbwell.com slash do you want to do bounce? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Slash bounce. So if they take that, that's going to give them, I like to know where we're starting from for everyone to know. So like, it's just 10 quick questions and they either are starting 10 out of 10. Wow, I'm super codependent. I am super over-functioning. I am super involved in other people's feeling states or like two out of 10. That's going to give, like once we know where we're starting from, then we sort of know what we want to do in the new year, 2024. And from there, I, I always say, like, take the first step first. So figure that out. And then from there, they'll have different ideas. I mean, I'm always like, get into the love of your life school. This is what I'm a master at. I lived codependently for the first three decades of my life. And so I help people. One of the things 
stepping out of this over-functioning role that is super important. There are two pieces. One, to know what it looks like, like to know that this over-functioning, this sort of codependency, what does that even look like? And what does that mean? Like that example that like, oh, my mom calls and says she's lonely and I feel it like almost like she's experiencing loneliness, like just starting to become aware of that is super important. The second thing that's super important is to have a community around you that is also schooled and like they know what the heck codependency is and that can support you that when you are doing things differently, when you're changing the dance, when you're not answering your daughter's call at 2 a.m. or you're not staying on the phone for an hour with your mom and your nervous system is freaking out, you have a community that's like, you're not doing anything wrong. This is okay. This is what's good for you. That is so important. Because many of us, if we are, if we take the codependency quiz and we score like a six, seven, eight, eight, you know, what you're going to notice and what I know to be true is that the people around you are also like that. Because that's mm-hmm. what we, we're sort of like fish swimming in this polluted water. And we're like, your mom's nervous. So is, so is mine. Let's go do it. You know, your daughter. Oh, my God. <laughs> what are you doing? Let's make sure that, you know, it's the, and it's like, we don't know. We don't know. Right. And so when we're trying to sort of heal from that and help everyone. Codependency doesn't help anyone. It is a burden to our children. You know, it's not that we're doing anything wrong if we don't know, but once we know, it's like, wow, this really is not helpful. Like for my kid to think that they need to call me, like I am their one tool to solve things. That's a heavy, and and it creates anxiety and lack of confidence. So it's, it, you know, and what I guess- It's I not good for anybody. Say, this is feeling heavy to people, that changes can be quite quick. It is sort of like turning on a light bulb and seeing things differently and then getting the support to maybe not answer the call the first time or say to your mom, you know, mom, I'm so sorry. You're lonely. This is so hard. And I love you. And I'm going to go now. I'm playing a game with my husband. And knowing that that then you solving her loneliness problems, I think we can see actually isn't helpful. Say I'm sitting with my 80 year old mother, me as a 52 year old, I like it helps in the short term. Like it's a little bit of a bandaid but it doesn't solve the underlying wound of her loneliness. What would help is if her 52 year old daughter isn't coming in and like placating and over-functioning. And she then is like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to that neighbor or, you know what? There's that book club at the library. Like we get her into sort of problem solving mode instead of again, us always over-functioning. Can you give an example of somebody who's taken this advice and maybe how it's worked out for them? I think it's just helpful to, to hear how it's worked out in practice. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm like, where do I start, Donna? Like, this is the ticket to feeling freer and lighter and better, like in all areas of your life. Like the, the number one piece of feedback I get from my clients is I help them feel better. I hear that in so many different ways. And, and one thing I know for sure is that when we are in these codependent or boundaryless relationships, mm-hmm. That's not helped. We have a view in society that like boundaries are something you do to someone else. Like it's almost like a punishment. And that's actually not accurate. Like healthy boundaries are a part of all healthy relationships. They help us all thrive. And when we start to learn and practice these things, the feedback I get from people is they feel lighter. They feel better. They feel they feel more confident. They feel more empowered. They feel so much better about their parenting. If that's what we're dealing to, like when they sort of have this like, okay, because it can be very complicated in our brains. And when we're like, oh, okay, this is what I need to see. This is what I need to say. And this is what I'm going to, you know, do. And then I'm going to 
follow back up with Susie next week in our live coaching. And, and it's just, like, it feels so much better is, is why that's my whole, like, love your friggin' life. Like it, it just, instead of us solving everyone else's problems, it's like returning our focus to us with some confidence and giving the other people around us the confidence that they can live their lives too. I, I do want to say some of the feedback I get from kids is also impactful because they say, like, so when you're saying like, do kids notice? I guess I was taking that more from the negative part. The positive part, the feedback I get, I have heard from kids that say, I, like, it's so much better to be around my mom. I'm not always nagged by my mom. Or I heard from a son recently who said that he always felt like he wasn't good enough for his mom. He wasn't doing it enough. And he was, and now he feels loved and accepted by his mom. Like, I, I just cried over that feedback. Yeah. yeah. And, and just this idea, like it brings you closer to those. They feel better about themselves and it brings, it's better for the relationship. Like oh, this feeling great. that like, they're never good enough. They're not doing it well enough. I need to do it for you. That's what the sort of overfunctioning is also. Yeah. And I don't think any parent wants that. Right. So it's an unintentional consequence, but it's, it, it's, it's coming from, but this, we don't we know. Don't yeah. Know. We don't know. And yeah. that's, that's why I also, I developed the school and I have the love your life school, the love your life show podcast. I have lots of episodes on there and on parenting. They are, because, yeah, they are amazing. Because we don't know, like we sort of, we either as parents parent as we were parented or the opposite of what we were parenting. in reaction. Yeah. Then in reaction. A too. lot of us read books. We like read the zero to one year, zero to, you know, two to five year. To, and then where's the, how to raise a teenager. So we sort of do this rinse and repeat with our older kids. We're so we're still stuck in that model of like, do it for them. And that like you parent kids differently. They're different brains. They're in a different stage of development. And so we don't know those things. We don't have to go to a parenting class. Which we should. For one well, we can. We can go to yours. Um, yes, you so I, exactly. <laughs> I, made well, it. I tried to make it super easy and affordable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate all of the advice. Uh, I've taken it to heart myself, and I'm sure the listeners will too. Thanks yeah, so much cool. for being with us. Thank you. Well, that's all for today. If you want to learn more about the Love Your Life podcast and Susie's coaching programs, those links will be in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. And if it was, please subscribe, drop a review, or share it with your friends and family. That's the best way to get it in the hands of those who may benefit. And if my daughters, Sienna and Sylvia, are listening, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. And I love you so much. Bye now.